Well, good morning to you, Hillcrest Church. Those of you that are here, you are the frozen chosen. Thank you for uh, showing up, braving the weather. And for those of you who are watching at home, we are grateful that you are also in the comfort of your own home, perhaps in your slippers with a, with a nice cup of coffee and enjoying or participating with us. Um, we are in a sermon series called The New Normal, Following Jesus in a Time of Transition. So I would like to begin today by reading for you a passage of Scripture from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 7. Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in, a, in complete earnestness and in love, we have kindled in you. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. Well, I am sorry. I'm a little sad today because we are at the final sermon in our sermon series called The New Normal, Following Jesus in a Time of Transition. I, I, um, I, I always kind of get, I work up ahead of steam throughout the series of, uh, of the sermons that I preach, and then when I get to the end, I feel a little bit badly. And uh, it's, it, that's actually better than if uh, I feel like, hmm, I should have quit this series two or three weeks ago. So that's, that's a good thing. Now, there's many more things that can probably be said about the new normal that we are living in, but what we've talked about these last five or six weeks is enough. And uh, maybe it could be picked up at another time. But during, if you would call, during these past few weeks, um, we have discovered that living in this new normal presents us with a set of choices. And the choices that are presented to us are these. We have the choice of, of uh, moving from consumption to contentment. We have the choice of moving from fear to trust. We have the choice of moving from information to wisdom we have the choice of moving from suffering to hope, and we have the choice of, of moving from brokenness to healing. And if, if you were with us last week, you heard me say that um, God may not remove our brokenness, but it may be our, our, the very brokenness that we exhibit that is the opportunity that God has to reveal his strength and mercy to others through us. And, and that's one of the unique things, I think, about these polarities. It may not be one or the other. It may be one, but we can live out of the other. So uh, today, I want for us to think about um, moving from a mindset of scarcity to a mindset of abundance and, or a mindset of generosity. Now, you might be sitting here going, wait a second. It's Valentine's Day. What is Brad doing talking about generosity on Valentine's Day, what does that have to do with it? You know, is he trying to sneak a stewardship sermon in on this day that we're, we're celebrating love? And, and I, I am. 
That's exactly what I'm doing. And here's the reason why. Because if you think about the nature of sacrificial love, which is what we've just finished singing about and which the church, that's the, that's the only message that we have, the, 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 the fundamental characteristic of sacrificial love is that we are loved by God and there's nothing that we can do to change that. And there's nothing that we have done in the past to warrant that. And so in the same way, as we think about Valentine's Day, this day of giving and receiving uh, love, it's a day that we can also think, okay, if I have been loved to the extent that, that, that I understand by God, how does that translate in the way I practice generosity in my life? You, you see the connection there? I made it. Um, so, so these those these polarities that that I've been talking about for the last few weeks, they're choices really that we as followers of Jesus get to make. Notice I didn't say that we have to make; we get to make them. There are opportunities for us to live into this thing that we call Christian discipleship. So, as we uh, conclude and we look at this final choice today, the choice from scarcity to abundance. I would like for us to see that, um, that this is a choice that we are presented with all the time, every day, um, almost every day, every week. So as we seek to follow Jesus, and we are presented with the choice of living our lives either out of this sense of, of scarcity or living with a sense of abundance that leads to generosity, that we may make that choice towards generosity more than uh, the scarcity side. Now, you may already be aware of this, most people are, but I'm just reminding you of something that you already know, and that is that Jesus talks about money more than any other subject matter in the Gospels. In, in all of his teaching, he talks about money more than anything else. So I feel like if Jesus talks about it once in a while, then I at least have the opportunity to do that once in a while as well. Jesus is acutely aware of the fact that one's personal resources often follow the desires of one's heart, right? So if you are a lover, and I gotta be careful here because I'm not, you, you can, we, we all have different pastimes and hobbies that we, we spend a lot of money on. But um, if you're a lover of books, okay, so now I'm talking about myself. If you're a lover of books, um, how do, what, what is the indicator that you're a book lover? Well, you, you go to my house or my apartment or my office here and you see books everywhere. It's almost like I can't not not love books and purchase them. So there's a connection between where I put my affection or my, where I spend my money and that which I love. And that, that is one of the elements that I want for us to ponder today. So Paul, he picks up this theme of generosity, this, this theme of generous living in the passage that I read for you a moment ago. So as we take a, a little closer look at this particular example of, of generosity in 2 Corinthians, um, we will discover that there are three movements that, are, that take place as a person moves from a scarcity mentality to a generosity mentality. So let's, let's take a look at those movements. The first movement is from caution to generosity or scarcity to generosity. And Paul says this, he says, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. You see, what Paul's referring to here 
is an offering that was taken up by the churches in Macedonia that was going to be given to the churches in Judea. And what is so remarkable about this offering is that it was taken up by the Gentile church, the church that in the very beginning when the church was formed, that the Jewish believers weren't so sure the Gentiles should be included in the church with them. But it was the Gentile church that was taking up an offering to be given to those very same Jewish believers. Remarkable. And the second interesting thing about this offering I want to point out to you is that this offering was taken in the midst of a famine. During the reign of Claudius, in uh, somewhere between AD 40 and AD 50, there was a severe famine in the, in the region, and the Macedonian Christians, in the midst of this famine, uh, took up an offering for their, for their suffering brothers and sisters in Judea. This offering was one church struggling during a famine, seeking to support the people and ministry in a sister church. That's what's going on here. Now think about that for a second. The Macedonian church had every reason not to practice generosity. They, they were suffering right along with the recipients of their offering. They were no better off. They were experiencing the same sense of scarcity that everyone else was. Yet Paul writes this, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Now I think that there's a lesson here for us as we find ourselves in this time of uncertainty and perhaps even financial stress. I think that the, that the model of the Macedonian Christians is something that we ought to take a closer look at here. And, and uh, uh, the, the, the fact that they were willing, they were compelled to, to uh, give of their own limited resources in the midst of a famine, no less, suggests that there may be some things that we can do as we find ourselves in the midst of, uh, of a pandemic. Now, economists have observed that the financial impact of COVID has been wholly uneven uh, uh, across our culture. Um, those who can work from home or have the flexibility to do so have hardly experienced a hiccup. In fact, for many of the, us who can work from home, our bank accounts are bigger and the savings rate in our culture has gone up because we have not been able to spend our money on extravagant vacations and eating out at restaurants. Um, that's a fact. That's, that's the reality of, of uh, how COVID has affected some of us, which is very little. Yet, for some, the impact of COVID has been devastating, absolutely devastating. If you were a working mom before COVID, many moms have left their jobs sometimes voluntarily, in order to become the parent-teacher uh, in their homes with their children. In fact, the largest pool of unemployed people during this, uh, this uh, time of COVID have been women in the workforce. Interesting. So if you work in a job that doesn't give you the kind of flexibility of working from home or, or, or you're dealing with the constant risk of, of illness because of the place that you work, um, as some people who work in the service industry or retail or hospitality, uh, or maybe you've already lost your job 
and, and there may be no job for you to go back to. That's an entirely different way this pandemic has affected a large segment of our population. So, so here's what happens. When we experience uncertainty, what it does is that it creates in us this sense of anxiety and this sense of scarcity, right? And, and when, we, when we believe or feel innately that our resources are scarce, that we're getting down to the end of, uh, of the, the amount of money in our checkbook, um, we hold on tighter to that which we have. That, that's natural. That's what happens. I'm not telling you anything that you don't already know. Now, I like the way that Brene Brown describes scarcity. You'll see it on your screen here in a minute. She says, worrying about scarcity is our culture's version of post-traumatic stress. It happens when we've been through too much, and rather than coming together to heal, which requires vulnerability, which is her big, her big thing in this particular book, we're angry and scared at, at each other's, uh, and at each other's throats. We're angry and scared and at each other's throats. So she's describing an, uh, what happens to us when we allow this, this idea of scarcity to kind of dominate our thinking and our feelings. Scarcity is the sense, which, by the way, may or may not be based in reality, just so you know that. It's a sense that we don't have enough of something to be generous, so we aren't. Scarcity is the thought that when this thing started a year ago that we were going to run out of toilet paper, so we all ran to the store and bought a year's worth of toilet paper. That, that's what scarcity mindset does. And then, in this passage of Scripture, we have this picture of the Macedonian churches who in the midst of their own pandemic of sorts, who in the midst of their own scarcity, discover that God's overwhelming joy wells up in, in, in such a way that they, become, they want to be more generous. What a picture. What a sort of counterintuitive way for the Christians in Macedonia to respond to the, to the, to the hardships that they were going through. So here's the $64,000 question that I want us to sort of ponder this morning, and it's this. So how do we get a sense of joy? How do we experience joy that can move us from a sense of scarcity towards a uh, practice of generosity? How do we experience a sense of joy that can move us from scarcity to generosity? Look at verse 3 with me again. Paul writes, I testify that they gave as much as they were able. That would be the Macedonians. And even beyond their ability... Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. They pleaded with us. It wasn't, it wasn't Paul's idea. He didn't call up the Macedonian churches and say, hey, things are really rough over here in Judea. Could you guys take a special offering at, at, the, at the end of church today and that we could pass on to the Judea? And maybe Paul had done that before. It wouldn't be, I mean, it wouldn't be out of the question that he could. But in this case, we know that he didn't do that because it was the Macedonians who were pleading with Paul in order to have the privilege of sharing uh, with God's people. So the, the, the movement then, uh, another movement in this, in this path from scarcity to generosity, I'm calling a, a moving from posturing to privilege. From posturing to privilege. What do, what do I mean by that? 
Um, I, I've been around the church a long time, I, 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 um, and I've seen a lot when it comes to this kind of thing. And we Christians like to play a little game where we lead people to believe that we are more spiritual than we actually are. And that's not true for all of us, but, but it's, it's true on the whole. And it can even be true for me from time to time. And we also give people the impression that we're actually more generous than we actually are. Do you want to know who the largest givers in a church typically are? Let me tell you. It's not those who posture and, and make a big deal about supporting this cause or, or writing a check for that cause. It's not the person that stands up on the platform and you know, uh, persuasively tells you why we should engage in this, this um, project or that ministry. The most generous people in the church, in all the churches that I've ever served, are people that you would never expect. You would never know. They don't drive expensive cars. They don't wear flashy clothes. They're not throwing, you know, they're not throwing their credit card around all over the place. That, those are the people. And I suspect that's true here as well. And the reason that this is the case is because generous people, just like the Macedonians, understand that living generously is ultimately a privilege. Now, I hate to break it to you, but the fact that you have resources and someone else doesn't has very little to do with you. Now, I know that's going to be hard for some of you to, um, to deal with because you think that you've achieved this, this social status that you have because of your own ingenuity and your own uh, intellect or what have you. But in most cases, that's not the reason why you are in the social strata that you are. Uh, you were probably at the right place at the right time. Bill Gates, when he was asked, uh, you know, how, how is it that a, a kid, uh, a nerdy kid from Seattle, ends up uh, founding a company that basically transforms our, uh, our world in many ways? And, and in one of his books, he said, I was at the right place at the right time. And at least he's being honest. Um, uh, you were probably, if you find yourself in a place of, of, of uh, great abundance, you were probably the recipient of wealth that was passed down to you from your family. That's often the case. So it either came to you and you got to go to uh, better schools, you got to go to the colleges or the universities of your choice, grad schools, you lived in nice neighborhoods, maybe even, you're, maybe even you have a trust fund that you're living off. That's not uncommon these days. Um, uh, you, you bought a house in a neighborhood before the values went through the roof, right? That's just pure luck. I know somebody who uh, a week or two ago got, uh, got involved in that, um, that stock purchasing and selling scheme with, um, what was it? Yes, yeah, games, GameStop. And uh, they turned around a, a, a small investment into multiple thousands of dollars. You think it was because they were really smart in their investing? No. They, they got lucky. Okay? <laughs> they got lucky. Um, moving, I think, from a posture, a posturing kind of role in generosity um, towards a more generous role is recognizing that 
uh, everything that we have is a gift from God. And, and seeing it that way reminds us that being generous is a privilege. I mean, that's kind of a fundamental notion for, uh, for a, 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 a biblical understanding of money. Everything that we have is a gift from God. The Macedonians, in this passage that I read for you, they, they figured this out, and um, we, we should as well. Well, the next movement from scarcity thinking to abundant thinking or generosity thinking is what I'm calling excelling in grace of giving, excelling in the grace of giving. Paul writes this, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring us also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. What Paul is essentially saying in here is we encourage Titus to bring the offering to us so that, that their generosity could be experienced by the Christians here in Judea. Paul is essentially in this passage admitting that he is surprised by the giving of the Macedonians. He says, they exceeded our expectations, both in their commitment to the Lord and also to us. When was the last time that you surprised yourself or your spouse with uh, the grace of giving? It's not a bad question to ask. Um, every year when... When I do our income taxes, I don't like it. And we're kind of in that season now where I'm gathering up all the documents. You know, you, you do it as well. And uh, I gather up all the details of my financial life and I begin to fill in the blanks on my income tax form. And uh, rather than grumble uh, about the amount of taxes that I pay, which seems to be, by the way, a kind of a national pastime, and I've done it, but um, um, I always pay close attention to the line on my tax form that says charitable giving. Because that's the one that I really care about, ultimately, as a follower of Jesus. Sometimes I am surprised. <laughs> to be honest with you, I'm surprised by all of the ways that God has prompted Roxy and I to be generous. And there are many other times where I'm embarrassed because I was under the impression that I'm much more generous than I actually am. The point I'm trying to make is this. When we begin to move towards sort of this abundant, generous living, we will exceed our expectations just like the Macedonians did uh, when they exceeded Paul's expectations. We will surprise ourselves by our own desire to be generous in circumstances that maybe in the past we, we would never even thought about. You know, maybe the, this uh, opportunity to be part of the care portal maybe will be an opportunity, having heard this sermon, for you to sit down with your spouse and say, hey, um, I want to I be part of that. I want to I um, practice a generous life. And if you uh, do your own taxes, or even if you don't, um, I would encourage you to glance at that line on your uh, 1040 and see your record of generosity. And if you're um, 
if, if that line surprises you by how generous you've been this past year, way to go. Good for you. Keep it up. Uh, get out your checkbook. Do it again. But the opposite is also true. If you see that your actual practice of generosity doesn't really live up to what you're capable of or, or how you uh, present yourself uh, among your friends and your peers, then you can do something about that. And it's the same. Get out your checkbook or, or Venmo or whatever way you, you uh, transact money. So here's the, here's the kind of the, the final thought, final question uh, about this movement from scarcity to generosity. How do we know? How do we know when we have moved from uh, sort of a, a scarcity mentality where we hold on to things tightly because we're not sure if we're going to need it at a later time to a more abundant sort of generous living kind of mentality? How do we know when we've got there? You will know when you begin to take joy in the fact that God has given you another opportunity to be generous. Did you hear what I just said? You'll know by the way you respond to the opportunity to be generous, not just being generous. That's, that's a given, right? You will know when the distance between your heart and your wallet is one and the same thing, indiscernible. You will know when you begin to practice sort of this, this extravagant, generous giving rather than always uh, thinking that, the, that you have to hold on to everything. There's a movie a few years ago uh, that came out, I thought maybe it was 15 years ago now, Time Flies, called Forrest Gump, where uh, the actor Forrest Gump, um, played by Tom Hanks, Forrest was a guy that showed up all over the place at all these really important uh, events with famous people. You know, if, if you haven't seen the movie, it's actually a, quite a delightful film. But um, what was remarkable about this is that Forrest was kind of a regular guy. In fact, uh, even he would admit it, he was a little slow. Yet he found himself in all these incredible places doing these incredible things. And a line that Forrest uses throughout the movie was, stupid is as stupid does. You remember that? Stupid is as stupid does. And uh, uh, in other words, the way that we recognize stupidity is by what people who make stupid decisions do. It's by, right? by, the, by, the, uh, by the results of their stupidity. That's how we recognize stupidity. Now let me apply that reasoning slightly differently here um, based on what we've been talking about this morning. Generosity is as generosity does. How do you know if you have been generous? Then look at the ways that you have been generous. You can't just talk about it. We've got to stop posturing. We've got to stop pretending that we're generous if we're not. And, we, and, and Paul is encouraging us in this passage to, to live out of the joy and the abundance of God just like the Macedonians. So when we see another opportunity to be generous, we don't just say, oh, no, you know, if I respond to this appeal, then I'm going to have to give to it next year and the year after that. Or if I help this person out, you know, they're going to, they're going to get their claws into me and I'm going to be, be pulled into this morass of having to help somebody. Yeah, that might happen. It might not. Who knows? 
I think what Paul is encouraging us to do in this text is to consider it a privilege that God has given you the means to be generous in whatever situation you find yourself in. And then, and then finally, make it a goal this coming year, okay? We're in a new year, relatively new. Make it a goal to surprise yourself by your own generosity. Say, say when I get to tax time next year, I want to look at that line, charitable giving, and I want to be completely flabbergasted by how much money I gave away. And, and by the way, you don't always have to sit down and, and create a spreadsheet. I mean, if, if you're one of those people that likes to do that, that's fine. You don't have to consult your tax accountant. You don't even have to, have to know the, the place where your gifts are going to be given and, and how they're going to be used. I mean, sometimes just giving with no strings attached is the best kind. And when you begin to do this, when you begin to move from scarcity to this abundant generosity, you will discover, just as the Macedonians did, the joy that comes with the grace of giving. And I guarantee you that you will be surprised the next time you discover how much you've given away with little or no impact on your lifestyle. That's the weird thing about generosity that I've experienced over my life is that the more I give away, it doesn't seem to mean that I'm eating uh, uh, poorer quality food or I'm driving a lesser quality car or I'm going on, on uh, closer distant vacations. It doesn't impact any of that stuff. And I think that's one of the remarkable things about living out of scarcity into generosity. And especially on this day, as we think about uh, sacrificial love on Valentine's Day, um, there's a lot of ways in which our culture would like to make love about flowers and chocolate and, you know, um, sweet nothings. And those are fine. But I think that the love that we sang about earlier, the love that has been given to us in Jesus Christ, without any merit, without any uh, uh, decision on our part, really, if you think about it, is the same kind of love out of which this generous life comes. So as you're, if you're sitting at home today, I want you to consider these questions. If you're here, you can consider these questions. Something to think about uh, today as you're eating uh, chocolates and watching your favorite um, um, romantic movie. Number one, do you practice generosity out of a posture of scarcity or abundance? Be honest. Be honest. Don't, don't lie to yourself. Two, describe a time when you were generous. And we all have been at some point or another. And what did that feel like for you? You see, what I'm trying to do here is to get you to re remember those feelings so that you can pursue those same kinds of feelings again the next time. And three, what practical steps can you take starting today to begin to embrace this life that is filled with the grace of giving? There are... Um, there are, there are many challenges to being a follower of Jesus in this new normal. And uh, following Jesus involves, among all of the other things that we have looked at over the last five weeks, it involves moving from scarcity to abundance, which is evidenced by our generosity. I hope that uh, in this week or these months to come, you will begin to live um, 
more joyously, joyfully out of generosity than you ever have before.